Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. I'm going to welcome Simon, who's going to start our new series. Okay, guys, good morning. You well? So the start of our new series, Detox, it's a a time for resolutions. Anyone made any New Year's resolutions? Wow, no one has made a New Year's resolution. Oh, one person has. Angela, what have you, what resolution? I'm not going to tell you, but I've made one. You're not going to tell? Okay. Angela's made us. So why haven't you made any resolutions? Because you can't keep them. That's the answer, isn't it? (laughs) Dr. John Michael, he's a philosopher at Warwick University, said this. He said, we're more likely to keep resolutions if we see them as being somehow important to other people, that other people's well-being is at stake rather than just our own. So the reason many people fail to keep resolutions is because normally they focus too much on themselves, not on other people, which is interesting. Um, And so a resolution that's got we in the title rather than me in the title is much more likely to succeed because you're thinking about the impact you have on other people rather than just your own sort of self-improvement. Uh, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs did an excellent TED talk called um, How We Can Face the Future Without Fear. And he said this. He said, I think future anthropologists will look at the books we read on self-help, self-realisation, self-esteem. They'll look at the way we talk about morality as being true to oneself. The way we talk about politics as a matter of individual rights. And they'll look at this wonderful new religious ritual we have created called the selfie. And I think they'll conclude that we worship in our time the self, the me, the I. And that's quite an interesting reflection, isn't it? Because where we are in history, it is very much the I that is worshipped. It is the self. But he goes on to say, when we have too much of the I and too little of the we, we find ourselves vulnerable, fearful and alone. So that's an interesting reflection. But the good news is we don't have to face 2018 alone, do we? We face it together as a church family, and also we face it with the companionship of God through the Holy Spirit, which is really exciting. So we face 2018 with all its challenges together, and that's really important. And God placed us in this community of believers with his Holy Spirit. He promises never to leave us or forsake us. And so we do life, and we do the future together. But that does mean that we have an obligation, and that obligation is to each other. We don't just do life in isolation. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, said this, think of yourselves with sober judgment. Now, in modern language, that's have a word with yourself. Take a long, hard look at yourself. And that's what he means. He says, basically, have a look at yourself and consider your life. And he's not just saying that because he wants you to think about self-improvement. He says a bit later on in Romans 12.5, in Christ, we belong to the other. And so it's back to this, this, this thought about the fact that we're in community. We actually don't just stand alone. We actually belong to one another. And that's a very powerful phrase, in Christ we. It's not in Christ me or in Christ I. It's in Christ we. And so that means that we have an obligation to each other right at the start of this year. And that's where this series is founded, Detox. We're looking at how we can be better people, not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the people around us. Now, I want you to think about a New Year's resolution where you can be the best body part 
you can be in 2018. I don't care what body part you want to be, you can choose that. You might already know what body part you are. But I want you to think about the best body part that you can be in 2018. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says this, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, that's the promises in God, the promises of, of God, the gospel, <coughs> scripture, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Let us purify ourselves. So Paul is saying, let's get rid of all the toxic junk, gets rid of all the stuff that messes us up, interferes with us, makes us less fruitful, less effective. Let's get rid of all that stuff because we have an obligation to each other to be the best we can be, to be the best body part we can be. And detoxing will make a better you, but primarily it will make a better us. Yeah? If we think about detoxing, it will primarily make a better us. We're called to grow and mature together as God's family. And that's what our vision is here at Riverside. And you and I will be nicer people to be around if we get rid of our junk. Amen? Yeah? Good. So hopefully, over the next four weeks, we're going to look at different ways we can help detox our habits, detox our thoughts, detox our spirituality, and detox our relationships. And so that's what we're going to be reflecting over the next four weeks. Let's just quickly pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're with us. I thank you that your Holy Spirit's here today. And I thank you you've called us together as a church family. And God, help us to think in the we rather than the I. Help us to think about the obligation to one another at the start of this year. Amen. Amen. So we're going to talk about habit today. We all tend to be creatures of habit, don't we? Whether it's sitting in the same seat, whether it's doing the same routines, thinking the same thoughts, giving the same replies, we all tend to be creatures of habit. Do you know that 40% of what you do is habitual? And that means 40% of what you do every day you don't even consciously think about. For some of you, it's more. (laughs) Come on, wake up. So we do so much of our life in habit. And that can be a good thing, but also it can be a negative thing. When's the last time you thought about tying your shoelaces? If you wear... Okay, some of you wear slip-ons, I know, and zip-up. But, but, you know, you don't think about it. Because as a child, a parent or a friend or, or your brother or sister taught you how to tie your shoelaces. And when you want to tie your shoelaces, all you do is run the shoelace program. And your body goes, doesn't it? And you've tied a shoelace, which is quite complicated when you start out. Try this. Fold your arms. Okay, now fold them the other way. Oh, I see some of you are struggling, weren't you? Because when I say fold your arms, you run the fold your arms program, don't you? When I say fold your arms, the way you go... Because it's habitual. Folding your arms is a habitual thing you do, and your body's learned how to do it. When I say fold your arms, your body goes run the fold your arms program. And so much of what we do in life is like that. It's habitual, it's unconscious. And that can be good... But also it can mean that some things we do things that aren't beneficial to us. In fact, we can do things that are are sometimes toxic. Think about driving a car. When you first learn to drive a car, it's difficult, isn't it? We get this right, and then suddenly it clicks. And before you know where you are, you're driving a car without even thinking about it. And that frees your brain up to have a chat with the person next to you or sing the songs that you're singing along to or daydream about what's for tea. 
And sometimes you get places and think, I don't remember getting here. I don't remember <laughs> driving through five junctions, two roundabouts, three pedestrian crossings. And they start to wonder how many people you've killed, how many people you've cut up. You all done that? It's because when you, your brain just runs the drive the car program. And that your brain just clicks into that and you, your feet work and everything works. And it's habitual. You just run that program automatically. And so a habit can be defined as this. Uh, a routine of behaviour that is repeated regularly and tends to occur unconsciously. And when habits are formed in us, they form literally like, like tracks in our brain. They're like neural networks that we become imprinted in our brain. So our brain doesn't have to kind of find the way through. It's just like it runs down these tracks in our brain and the habit happens really automatically. It's a bit like this, um, this driverless metro in Copenhagen. It pulls up, no driver. You jump on, glide along, get to your destination, and you jump out. And that's what happens with a habit when you run a habit in your mind. It's a bit like that. You jump on, your brain goes into driverless mode, you trundle along, and you arrive at your destination. So your behaviours are made in a place called the basal ganglia in your brain. That's where they're stored. Uh, that's where they sit, these, these neural uh, pathways. The decision-making part of your brain, I'll get this right, is called the prefrontal cortex. That's where you make decisions. That's where the decision-making choices are. And when you run a, a habit program, that part of your brain tends to go into sort of a, a sleep pattern. So when you're running a habit program, then your decision-making part of your brain literally is, is dozing. It's dreaming. It's not really thinking about what you're doing. And that explains that whole thing with a car where you can almost like get somewhere and think, I don't remember making choices to cross those junctions or stop at those red lights. Because the prefrontal cortex doesn't need to be actively involved while the habit program is running. Now that's great if it's a positive habit, isn't it? It's like driving a car, it means it frees your mind up to do other things, it frees your, your body up to do other things, it gives you extra capacity. And that's really helpful if it's a positive habit. But if it's a negative habit, it's not so helpful because you can find yourself kind of sleepwalking into behaviours and then you suddenly think, how did I get here? How did I end up in this place? Or how did I end up doing this thing? I don't even remember choosing to kind of end up in this place. And that's, that's what can happen when we get grooved into a habit because we do them so automatically. So we can find ourselves sleepwalking into toxic habits, toxic actions, toxic responses, because they become grooves into our brains and we just automatically run that programme. And you've all done it, haven't you? You suddenly thought, I never intended to do this thing, but here I am doing it. I don't remember getting from there to there, but here I am doing this thing that isn't particularly helpful or isn't particularly useful. And in fact, I set out never to do it again. But here I am doing the very thing I chose not to do. And the problem is, because the habit train is such a great place to be, you know, once you jump on it, you're virtually guaranteed to arrive at the destination because it's grooved into your brain. And it's very hard, once you're on the habit train, to get off it or to arrive at a different destination because that's the neural pathway that's kind of grooved into who you are. The Apostle Paul expresses this frustration in Romans 7.15. He says this, I do not understand what I do. Anybody? For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. 
And he's expressing that frustration that somehow we find ourselves doing things the very opposite of what we set out to do. Or not doing the thing that we really want to do. And so habits can automatically get us places that we don't necessarily want to be. So let's understand the habit cycle a bit better. I've got a video I want to play now, so make sure the sound's up, guys, for me. Uh, And this is by a guy called Charles. So if you're like me, you probably have at least a few bad habits you would like to break. But it's tough because no matter how hard I try, I seem to slip back into the same old routines again and again. In the last decade, we've learned a lot about how habits work. That's Charles Duhigg, author of the book, The Power of Habit. And in particular, we've learned the neurological structure of a habit. He says that we tend to think of habits as a single thing, but actually... Each habit has three components. There's a cue, which is like a trigger for a behavior to start. And then there's a routine, which is the behavior itself. And then finally, a reward, which is how our brain learns to encode that automatic behavior for the future. And one of the big differences is that for years when people thought about habits, they focused in on the routine, on the behavior. But what we now know is that it's these cues and these rewards that really shape how habits occur and how to change them. And Charles says that whether we like it or not, this kind of habit formation is endemic to our brain. And what it will do is our brain will latch onto a cue that it associates with a behavior and a particular reward. And over time, that cue and that reward become more and more and more sort of intertwined. A particular part of your brain named the basal ganglia will relate them together. And the behavior that's associated with that, that will just sort of happen automatically. But Charles says the good news is we can also use this knowledge to our advantage. There was a big study that was done about how to create exercise habits. And so what they did is they told a group of people, okay, first of all, choose an obvious cue. Always go running at the same time every day or put your workout clothes next to your bed so that you see them first thing when you wake up. And then they said, and then go for a run or go work out. And when you get back from exercising, give yourself a small piece of chocolate. Now, this is kind of counterintuitive, right? Because people who are exercising are trying to lose weight, not eat more chocolate. And yet what the researchers knew is that their brain needed that reward. Their basal ganglia needed some reward. And what they found was that people who ate a small piece of chocolate after coming home from a run or a workout, they were much more likely to start exercising habitually. So according to Charles, whether you want to break a habit or start a new habit, The key is to divide the habit into its component parts, cue, routine, and reward, and design it for the result that you want. Okay, you find that interesting? Let's have a look at that then. Let's have a look at that that, uh, that cycle that Charles Duhigg talks about, the cue, the routine, and the reward. Okay, so the routine, this is the thing that you normally recognize as the habit. This is the thing that, that can be described as the habit. The cue is the kind of press the start button action that triggers. It's like this is the point you get on the habit train. Okay, this is the point. The train pulls up, the cue you jump on, and the reward. Well, this is the the benefit or the comfort or the the something that you get from doing that habit that makes your brain want to do it again. Because your brain's good at not doing things it doesn't want to do, but your brain's also good at running repeat programs it wants to do. So there's some sort of benefit for you in this habit, whether it's a positive benefit or a toxic benefit. So um, so let's have a think about a habit that we might do, okay? I'm going to talk about the glass of wine in the evening habit, okay? Any takers? None. Oh, we've got one. Wow. Okay, next week's all about truthfulness. And um, (laughs) two people in this church have a glass of wine in the evening. Well, I know at least another one. Um, (laughs) 
So, um, okay, let's think about that. Now, see, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm just saying this is an example of a routine uh, that we could run, okay? So the first thing to do is, is paint the scenario. It's uh, been a hard day at work. You come home, you have your tea, you get the washing up done, you plonk down in front of the, the TV, you want to chill, you want to relax, you want something, you think, oh, I'll have a glass of wine. So you go and pour yourself a glass of wine, okay? So that's what you could, um, that's the first thing we do. That's the, that's the routine, okay? We have a glass of wine. Now we need to come back to the, the cue, the, the start button. So why might we want the glass of wine? Rough day. You need to relax. Treat. Bottles half open needs finishing. <laughs> that old chestnut. But we... Habits. Okay, so we run the start pro. What's the reward? Another glass of wine. <laughs> we lose the ability to count. Okay. It's going to do different things to different people. It might make you a better person. It might make you nicer to the kids. It might make you able to forget about tomorrow and the things you've got piling up at work. It might make you relax. It might help you sleep better. There'll be something in there for you, uh, when, you, when, you do that, uh, when you run that routine, when you drink that wine. Okay. So that's, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because that's what happens when we run that routine. Okay. That's, uh, that's the unpacking the, the habit of the glass in the wine, sorry, the evening glass of wine routines. Now, the more times we, we run this routine, the more it becomes ingrained in us. Okay, so the more, so you're sitting there, it's early evening, your brain thinks, ooh, the wine routine's good because when I have the wine routine, I feel this. So, run wine routine. So, you run wine routine, you have a glass of wine, okay? Next evening, your brain goes, the wine routine's pretty good. One wine routine, so you run the wine routine, and the next, and so and so it goes on. And before you know where you are, you've got a glass of wine in your hand in the evening without even realising how it got there. Still no takers. Okay, so. Because your brain is very good at grooving routines into habit, whether they be positive or negative, because your brain likes that sense of whatever it's getting from that particular habit. And so it grooves that. And actually, your brain often isn't your best friend. Your brain's quite selfish. And your brain wants to feel that feeling again, or it wants to have that whatever reward that's linked to that activity. And it'll, it'll encourage you to run that routine again. And so we have to understand that our brains are wired around reward. Now, Christians think rewards are unspiritual, don't we? We should be able to do life completely, altruistically, without any sense of reward, any time, ever. Right? That can be kind of the Christian thing, can't it? They just flagellate ourselves into the kingdom. We're going to do nothing for reward. But actually, your brains are wired for reward. And the scriptures are full of this topic of reward. Let's quickly look at this. There's just a few here for you to look at. Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He rewards those who seek him. Love your enemies, do good. Your reward will be great. If anyone has built anything on the foundation that survives, he will receive a reward. When you give to the need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What's done in secret, you'll get a reward. When you pray, go into your room. When your father sees you, you'll get a reward. 
Reward, 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 reward. Throughout the scriptures, there's this topic of reward. Jesus talked a lot about reward. And we don't know fully what these rewards are. We don't know fully what they mean. I think some of them, maybe in the short term, we receive some measure of reward and we do something that's aligned with God's will. Then there's something that comes back to us in different ways. I think some of these rewards are eternal rewards. But I find it encouraging that the way the brains are, the way our brains are made and the way the scripture talks are aligned. Because God has made your brain to work around reward. Yeah? We've just looked at the neuropathy, the way it works, the sense, of, um, the sense of your brain being wired a certain way. And scripture talks about reward in the same way. So they're not incongruent. There's no misalignment there. So when you think about making new habits, it's so important to realise that your brain is wired around reward. And I think by adopting godly habits, then we really can... Um, they're going to help us in our walk with Christ. They're going to help us do life better and get rid of some of the toxic junk. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.8 says this, Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And so if we can get habits into our lives that really do have eternal value, they're going to help us walk this walk. They're going to help us be better people to be around in church, and they're going to help us impact our communities. Because lots of things that we do, lots of the habits that we currently run, they satisfy us at one level, but they don't really satisfy us. They don't really get to our, our deepest point of need. And our brains kind of tricked us into taking the easy option. Or it's, it's tricked us into taking the, the short-term benefit rather than pushing into all that God has for us. If you choose to pray, or let's say fast, if you choose to fast, it's not very pleasant, is it? If you choose to fast for a day, it, it, it bites, it's hard. But, and so your brain's going to go, that sucks, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> you know, why do we want to run the fast program? That's just terrible. Let's run the glass of wine program, that's much more fun. <laughs> but God says there's an eternal value around the one thing that we do. You know, when you fast, you're doing something onto God that has eternal value and eternal benefit. And we have to train our brains to understand that actually there's a different reward in play here. And so habits that are aligned with God's will and God's character are going to really be beneficial to us. And we, and we have to kind of pull away from our brain wanting to take shortcuts all the time. We have to train ourselves and discipline ourselves into some godly habits. Jesus, uh, it said, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed, didn't he, in the scripture. And that was a, a habit that he had. That was a, a Jesus habit. And so if you think about the cue and the routine and the reward. I'm guessing the cue for Jesus was, I am so overwhelmed with these crowds and these people and all the different demands placed upon me. I need to get away and spend time with my father. And that's the routine. What might the reward have been for him? A sense of God's presence, a sense of God's comfort, a sense of God's love, a reminder of who he was, his identity. He had a, he had a, a lonely place, his routine, that he ran frequently. Because, and that was a, a healthy habit, not a toxic one. That was a healthy response to stress, not a toxic one. So when we think about detoxing our habits, we need to remember that Jesus was just a human person just like us, and that we as humans can, can imbibe godly habits just as he did. And we have to think about that whole cycle of cue, routine, 
and reward. Let's think quickly then about uh, detoxing our habits today. So have a think about some of the habits in your own life. Okay, you've got some habits, yeah? Some good ones, some bad ones, and some neutral ones, let's say. Some ones that sit kind of in the middle. So let's think about it. The first thing to do then is um, let's take an inventory of our habits. You can do this this week. Sit down and think about all the habits that you've got in your life. And there might be habits that you want to stop. There might be some habits that are, like we say, neutral. And there might be some habits that you want to start. So rather than thinking of a New Year resolution, what's a habit that you want to put in play this year? In our, um, our reflections that's gone out today, it's uh, on the back, uh, it's 2 Peter 1 from the message. <clears throat> and that talks about adding in to yourself. Make every effort to add this and add that and put this in and put this in and become mature. And, and Peter says, if you do these things, I'll prevent you from becoming ineffective and unfruitful in Christ. And so detoxing is not just about taking stuff out. It's about putting stuff in. So... We're trying to get rid of stuff that contaminates and we're trying to put in stuff that's going to be beneficial. So what habits might you want to start? If there's a habit you want to stop, let's have a think about it in light of this Q routine reward. What's going on with your particular habit? You know, identify the routine. What are you doing? Okay, what is it that you need to focus on and think about? What's the routine that's being run? What's the reward? What are you getting from this habit? Why are you doing it? And that might take a little bit of teasing out, because on the surface it might be one thing, but actually underneath it might be something different. So what's going on beneath the surface when you run this particular habit program? And what's the cue? This is really important. What, what starts, what makes you get on the habit train when it pulls up? What's the cue? What's the start button? What makes you run that particular program? And that's really important. Because, again, it, it might be something you don't recognise. And you can do some work around this. You can think about five categories. You can think about your location. What time is it? What emotional state are you in? What other people are around you? And what was the immediate preceding action? So the location, the time, your emotional state, what people were around you. Do people trigger this in you? Certain people? Certain situations? Is it when you're in a certain emotional state that you run this particular program? So you could write down your inventory where you were, what time it was, how was I feeling, who was around me, and did something happen that made me do this? Was it something, a trigger for me that made me run, press this button and run this program? Last year, I had a really bad habit starting to form. It was called the mid-afternoon marble cake eating habit. (laughs) It was crippling. You know the story. Middle of the afternoon, a bit tired, a bit flaky, feeling a bit tired, you know, church, all that. Uh, And um, cheer up. And and, um, this voice would call me. It would say marble cake. And so I'd wonder, I'd get on the habit train just outside my office and I'd tootle down the corridor to Cafe 89 and they'd give me a knowing smile and say, the usual, and I'd say yes. <laughs> and a big piece of Margaret's marble cake and a flat white. And I'd take the habit train back up the corridor 
and I'd sit down and eat my marble cake. And life was so much better. Now, why did I want the marble cake? A whole hosting could be, you know, I was feeling a bit... Was I feeling hungry? Not really. Was I feeling a bit flat? Maybe. Did I need a sugar pick-me-up? Probably. Did the marble cake help? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, it didn't help this. It didn't help down here. It might have helped up here momentarily. And I had to kind of stop and think, what's the cue here? What, 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 why am I running the marble cake routine? And uh, I had to stop and basically say, what's going on? What's going Because when you... See, the problem is the decision-making process has gone to sleep. Yeah? And so you're running that program and you're running that program. You're not even thinking about it. You've got to put yourself back in the driving seat and say, why am I wanting marble cake? Okay. Now, if I've forgotten my lunch, I might have been genuinely hungry and the marble cake would have gone some way to make me feel less hungry. But probably what I was doing, I was looking for some sort of emotional pick-me-up, wasn't I? Yeah? I wanted to feel better about the life and the world and church and everything, so I thought, marble cake's going to help. And the, the sugar rush that it gave my brain did trick my brain into thinking it was helpful. And so if I was feeling a bit flat or struggling to write a sermon or an or a email, whatever else it might have been, brain goes, run marble cake routine. I go, yeah. And I sleepwalk to Cafe 89. I'm sleepwalking back with my cake. And that's what happens with us. We get into these routines and we sleepwalk into them. And they're not always beneficial. So what's the cue, guys? What's the cue for your particular routine? Why do you run it? What's going on in your life at that particular time? And so I had to take decision-making back. And we could do the same with the wine illustration. So when you, you come from home from work, had your meal sit down from the TV, want to switch your brain off, want to relax, want to chill, run wine programme. But what you could do is say, actually, I'm not going to run wine programme, I'm going to just sit here for five minutes and just be still with God. And I'm just going to tell God how I feel about my day, my life, what's going on, I'm just going to allow him to refresh me, just for a few moments. Nothing super spiritual or religious, just going to sit here, still my eyes closed, and just let him come to me. Two or three minutes later, I open my eyes, do I still want to run wine program? Well, maybe I do, and maybe I don't. But now I've put my decision-making brain back in play. I'm back in the driver's seat. And God may have come to me and comforted me and refreshed me in a way that I think, actually, some crackers and cheese would be fine tonight. Or, <laughs> or I'm not even hungry, really, because God's just come to me and comforted me. And that thing that the wine was promising to be for me, it actually isn't being for me. And I can appropriate the glass of wine now, from a, a place of being empowered around my decisions. that makes sense? So I'm putting myself back in the driving seat. And it's really important that we do this with all our habits and all our cues because we run them so unconsciously, we don't even think about them. So if you want to change your habit, get right back to the cue stage and say, why am I running this? Is this a beneficial thing? Is it a negative thing? Put yourself back in the driver's seat. It says in Ephesians uh, 4 to take off the old self and put on the new. And we're continually doing that as believers. We're trying to get rid of old habits and put on positive ones. So ask God for grace. God, can you graciously help me make these changes? When you start to follow Christ, no one presses a reset button in your brain. You bring lots of stuff with you from your past, from your upbringing, from your circumstance. And so you need God to help you put off the old self and put on the new. I have to get, finish rather quickly now because the kids are waiting at the door. So... Don't try and do it alone. Remember, it's about the we. 
It's not the I. So get help, get support from friends. Be accountable. I want to change this area of my life. I want to, I want to stop doing this. I want to start doing this. Get some support, get some prayer, get some people to help you and encourage you. Remember, we're trying to detox together. It's not just a thing you're doing as an island individually. And replace old habits, negative habits, with positive ones. If you just stop doing something and leave a vacuum, it's very difficult. So what can you do to positively fill your life with godly habits? If you want to, sometimes you want to maybe start reading the Bible afresh this year and you struggle to do that, maybe get a new translation, find a new space to read it, do something to refresh that particular part of your spiritual life. And maybe read the Bible and then have a piece of chocolate. (laughs) Trick your brain. Hey, this is a good routine. I'm going to groove this. Trick your brain. You know, you can do that. Or have a nice cup of coffee when you read your Bible. Find a nice, nice view when you read your Bible. Trick your brain into helping you groove a routine that's godly and that is helpful. Scientists reckon it takes about 30 days to groove a new habit. So if you can do something for 30 days, it will form a neural pathway in your brain and you will end up doing it habitually for good or for bad. So try and, uh, try and do something that's going to help your brain. Use that reward cycle. The power of the gospel is we haven't got to be shackled to old habits, old negative habits or toxic habits. We can take on new habits, godly habits, fruitful habits, effective habits. That is the promise of the gospel. We're being transformed by degrees into the glory of Christ, aren't we? So we can do this together. Remember that godly habits are a good way of welcoming God into your life, allowing God more space in your life. Even just allowing space... To be with God is one of the most powerful things you can do. If you sit and do nothing else and allow God's space to come and be with you, that's one of the most powerful things you can do at the start of this new year. Ultimately, we want our habits to become so embedded in us, our godly habits, they become natural. Oswald Chambers, he put it this way. The right thing to do with godly habits is to immerse them in the life of the Lord until they become such a spontaneous expression of our lives we're no longer aware of them. So much of what we do as Christians, we kind of struggle to do what we fight to do or we must do or we kind of root, you know, we, 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 we do it in a kind of angsty way or a kind of a begrudging way or a kind of a religious way. But Oswald says, if we just steep our life in God, then these habits become a spontaneous expression of who we are and we do them without thinking. You pray without thinking. You fast without thinking. You're generous without thinking. You overlook an offence without thinking. You believe the best without thinking. Yeah? These godly habits become grooves and become our friends and allow us to be more effective together. Okay, we're going to have family communion now. So if you've got children under five, you need to collect them uh, from out there. The rest of us just uh, think about your habits for a moment and think about what you're going to do over these next few weeks while we just wait for the kids to come in. Yeah? Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>